Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, the weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album every week. This is your host, David Lucarelli. This is John Carson. And this is Mike Gavigan. Before we dive into this week's album, we'd like to play a few tracks that we've all been involved in, in one capacity or another, to let you know the sort of things that we do. Mike? Uh, for me, I'm going to go with uh, The Blessings. Um, you know, several years ago, The Blessings stumbled upon something that was really cool in terms of uh, a, a vocalist named uh, LaVon Barnett Seatall, uh, who is a, is a wonderful you know, vocalist. And, um, you know, we recorded with her in and written some songs and incorporated her vocals into our songs. And um, she later went into uh, working with bands uh, like, you know, John Fogarty's band and went on world tours with, with that guy and, you know, achieved immense success. And she's a wonderful soul. And we've got this song on the uh, Tom Hawking record and it's called Twisted Little Heart. And it's a great vocal on her part. So I'd like to showcase that song and, uh, you know, sort of a shout out to, to LeVon and, you know, her talent and, skill and how she can take things to a different level in terms of vocals you know it's amazing talent that you know you, you meet amazing people in this world and you're you're fortunate to work with them and Levon is definitely one of those people of the Ballad of Johnny Blowtorch in hopes that someone will go out and download it. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, 
And when you last slept in a bed, there's no knowing Your eating garbage, your complexion is spotty And your chiseled physique now hangs over your body Your barrel's empty and you're scraping the bottom And the things that you're looking for, nobody's got them Here comes a face from your past, don't pretend you don't see me Get lucky and score, you wanna be me part i'm gonna go with a new song hot off the presses uh not available anywhere else i just finished uh mastering it last night this one's called up up and away with 4e j uh it's a tribute to forrest j ackerman uh nice. made uh famous monsters of Filmland magazine and uh it's got kevin valentine playing uh. the drums uh kiss ghost drummer
And today we will be taking a look at the Kiss album, Killers, the second compilation album that they put out, their first time working with producer Michael James Jackson, and they're continuing to work with Bob Kulik as the ghost lead guitar player. So apparently what happened was the Elder was such a commercial disaster that the UK and Australian markets uh, of the parent company of Casablanca asked KISS to put out a new compilation album that would reflect Dynasty and Unmasked, both of which had done reasonably well, particularly in the UK and Australia. And they wanted KISS to do four new songs for that compilation uh, to kind of signal that they were making a return to rock after The Elder. And they specifically requested that those songs be in the rock vein. So what we ended up getting were four new Paul Stanley cuts. And the first one is I'm a Legend Tonight. Um, I know that most people don't feel that this is their favorite song on it, but I, I actually like the lyrical content of it and it is a hey look mike's there and it um because it's like the working guy who then escapes from work and then becomes you know the legend tonight with his lady friend um at least that's what i got from the first verse and then i tried to listen to it a couple more times and the second and third verse get a lot more vague about what you know who he is you know what i mean i think there's someone in the second verse about work until five or something like that but i like the idea of the song um, also something that struck me was that it's, um, I, I put in, uh, it's like proto metal. It sounds almost like it, it seems like with these four songs, Kiss is being informed by the bands that inform that they informed, you know what I mean? It almost mm -hmm. sounds like a Def Leppard song or a new wave of British heavy metal song. I'm not sure where we are on the timeline of that. I think this came out in 81, which was the beginning of, um, you know, that sort of sound. 82, um, yeah. 82. Okay, so bands like Motley Crue and um, was, uh, you know what I mean? I didn't do the research to see if Def Leppard was there, but it seemed like it sounds like a very 80s metal album, and they're sort of being, like I said, informed by the bands that they informed. You know what I mean? So it's sort of a nice cyclical thing, um, particularly with that guitar riff at the beginning sounds super 80s guitar, you know, metally sound. So that's my take on it. I actually, of the four, it's probably one of my favorites just because of the lyrics um, are kind of interesting. Yeah, there's definitely some really interesting stuff going on lyrically. Um, you know, Kiss once again, whether they're doing songs like Larger Than Life or whatnot, they like to take what people are saying about them who are perhaps taking Kiss seriously and turn it into a kind of tongue in cheek thing by kind of doing what you do when you read fortune cookies and you say in bed, right? You guys are larger than life in bed. You guys right. are living legends in bed. And, you know, so that, that's kind of what Paul's doing in part of the song. Um, and the whole idea of, you know, working at my job, slaving like a dog all day, that's, that's a typical Stanley theme. Uh, he kind of talks about it similarly before in Tomorrow and Tonight. He goes mm -hmm. back to it in Uh all night. Um, and then, you know, a little later on, you get into what I like to think of as the, the Paul Stanley existentialist side that he will mm -hmm. occasionally veer into when he says, I don't know what happens when the race is run. I don't know what tells me if I've lost or won. You know, and he'll do that from time to time. You think of the lyrics in Silver Spoon when he says, uh, mm. nowhere to hide in a crowded room. It's almost like a Zen Cohen. There should be everywhere to r r hide in a crowded room. But okay, <laughs> you know. Um, right. So, so yeah, lyrically, it's, it's definitely an interesting song. I think Kiss was in a weird position here because um, they knew that this album was only going to be out in the UK and mm. the, US, uh, the Australian market and Japan. Japan, yeah. Norway. And Norway, uh, yeah, yeah. Europe, Europe. Um, but not, not the United States. And it eventually became available as an import. Um, there was no talk of this album no. even existing in American rock magazines, even as an import. 
Um, so, you know, looking at it from their perspective, do they want to go with their top of the line A material? Because if they've got four new songs that could turn their career around in America, they probably want to save them for the American release and not a compilation album, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that, that puts them in a weird position. Um, these songs sound to me, I mean, the production is a little pedestrian. I mean, it, it sounds mm -hmm. fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's just a little generic. Yeah, it's straight ahead, and there's not a lot that stands out about any of these songs, but, you know. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. The songs more or less fit in with the overall average production of the rest of the songs on the album. Um, but it, it, it's not defined in the same way that, say, uh, Creatures of the Night has a specific sound or Lick It Up mm -hmm. has a specific sound. Um, what right. are your thoughts there, Mike? Uh, for me, if you compare it to um, you know, albums like The Elder and Unmasked, I mean, you know, if you want to you know, go down the path of were some of these songs written for The Elder and not used, you know, maybe like a song like Nowhere to Run, okay, you know, I could see where that song would not fit on an album like The Elder. Uh, but at the same time, too, uh, production-wise, it's it this these four songs lend themselves more so to the production value of Unmasked, but not to that level of quality. So oh, yeah. in a way, it's a little more of a phoned-in production. Like, okay, if this is the case, we need to record four songs for a compilation album. Then this is what you're going to get, and you know, do with it what you will. And you know, we you know we wash our hands of it. There you go. There's there's our four songs, and great. You know. We'll save the rest, you know, for the best later on. Paul Stanley's sort of the workhorse of the band because isn't this? These are all his songs. Yeah, there's no Gene songs, so it's like a Paul Stanley solo album. Kinda, yeah. Um, I I agree. I think that as much as they were trying to do a straight ahead rock thing, uh, you know, you can't do a disco album and a power pop album and then kind of uh, an art rock album and be playing th those kinds of songs for all those years and not have that be somewhat of an influence, even when you're trying just to return to straight ahead rock. Yep. It's a, it's a nice bridge between the elder and creatures of the night is the way I also sort of see it. They're yeah. going back to their roots, but they're also employing that sort of eighties metal sound that then sort of defines them all the way up till, you know, the end of the eighties basically, or into yeah. the nineties. Yeah, and John, to that point too, and you know, to, to John's point about the you know, the '80s metal thing, it definitely sounds more like um, you know, like a Def Leppard riff, like um, uh, what's the song? Um, but yeah, da -na -na -na. Saturday Night, da -da -da -da, like yeah. the opening riff of that song. It definitely, it's that, but it's also kind of you know, it harkens back to uh, the Pete Townsend chord changes that you know he would do mm -hmm. in, in the early days of the Who. Uh, so it it kind of you know bridges the gap between the old days and the new days, and they were trying mm -hmm. to be competitive with what was happening at the time and. You know, I, I just don't, you know, I think that they're, they were capable of better and this is just what we got at the time. Yeah, I, I see this album as them turning the ship around to the direction that they wanted in the same way that I see Hot in the Shade as kind of turning the good ship kiss around towards what became Revenge. You know, mm -hmm. they knew they wanted to change and they had some idea how they were going to get there, but they weren't exactly sure how to do it. And it's funny that you say that I'm a Legend Tonight reminds you in some ways of Def Leppard because there's certainly stuff on Hot in the Shade that reminds me of Def Leppard. So apparently Def Leppard oh. is Paul's touchstone for, you know, halfway to getting back to playing straight ahead hard rock. It's funny. I've never been a fan of Def Leppard. I've always disliked Def Leppard, um, but not disliked, but I've never really been a fan, you know. I always thought they were, I always thought they were sort of too pop, than metal, you know what I mean? But um, if you read, I mean, all the documentaries I've seen on new wave of Brit British heavy metal, they were the first to sort of, you know, do whatever they could to make it in America and sort of sold out a little bit. Apparently the difference between their first and second album is light years apart or something because they're trying to sound, you know, American or whatever, trying to, you know, grab that, uh, grab that attention. Sorry, good, Dad. Well, I know Mike's a big Def Leppard fan. Well, yeah, I, I could probably say in, in a few sentences. I mean, the early Def Leppard records, not to go on a whole other discussion, but the early Def, Re Def Leppard records were you know, produced by the same producer that produced the Judas Priest records. So okay. they have more of that you know, new wave of 
British heavy metal for sure. But then when they got into working with Robert you know, uh, Mutt uh, Lang, then they became more refi more refined. But like, if you want to look at like the most successful, probably you know of of those bands from New Wave of British heavy metal, I mean, those guys in '87 were on top of their game. You know, at that point. Yeah, they were the biggest and, band in the world. Yeah. Yeah, no, they were huge. So you know, I, and I think what what gets sort of set aside with those guys is you've got essentially like a Jimmy Page sort of, you know, riff writer, Steve Clark, and he's got his, you know, other, his co-guitar player, Phil Collin, and, and they just like, they, they sort of define the sound of the 80s um, mm -hmm. in a way that other bands probably couldn't have done. Um, and I think this is something that also ties into the Kiss thing where, you know, Kiss has always been known for, you know, you know, among the fans, great songwriters, but, you know, they always sort of, you know, they adapted if they could to the times. And this was, this this is their transitional period with was with, with this record and uh, you know did they achieve that maybe not but you know it, it's a touchstone between like you said the elder and creatures and creatures was a thing they were achieved trying to achieve but they didn't quite get there with this record yeah mm -hmm. um yeah i've always admired def leppard in terms of the craftsmanship of the songwriting for sure mm -hmm. um you know the songs haven't really spoken to me personally but i you know i appreciate what they do for sure um, so the only other thing I could really say about this song is the solo section sure is minimalistic in terms of the lead guitar, uh, and it's so minimalistic that you almost wonder why Paul didn't just bother playing the solo himself, because he certainly would have been capable of that. And maybe he just felt like I'm singing all four of these songs. I'm writing them, just have Bob do it, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. But let me let me also say this about the rhythm guitar playing. Um, you know those riffs in in the verse is like ba ba da ba ba da. It's like a backwards version of Michael Jackson beat it in a way. So mm. you know it seems to me it's it's immediate kind of response to what was going on at the time where they really you know it's 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 if you think think about it this way, you've got the intro which is very uh, late sixties early seventies who, and then you got the verse which is kind of you know current, you know, 81, 82, 83, whatever, whenever Thriller came out, you know, Michael Jackson era. And it, it, it's just kind of like a, a, a bee stew of, you know, <laughs> songwriter approaches, you know, and, and, you know, yes, it works on a certain, uh, on a certain level, but is it really that good? Debatable, debatable. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a bad song, but I think, again, I, I think they're, they're capable of better. I agree. It, yeah, it doesn't hurt to listen to, but it's definitely not something I'm going to turn to say, I really need to hear that today. Yeah. I can also say, too, that production-wise, you know, compare this to, to um, you know, Dave, you've mentioned that the guitars on Unmasked are sort of, you know, did they EQ out all the mid-range and da-da-da, you know, I agree. But, you know, the production on this is sort of like a dip down from the Elder and when you compare that what's coming up next in terms of creatures, the production value, it's, it's, it's interesting too, because it's the same pr producer that was on Creatures of the Night, you know, but like, is this like a stepping stone to where they were, were trying to get to? You know, it, it doesn't really, it's not really a step forward in terms of production. No, I think these tracks were probably recorded fairly quickly and fairly cheaply. I don't see them spending a whole lot of time on the guitar sounds or the yeah. arrangements. I mean, you know, there it's a little flat it's a little generic it's a little perfunctory you know mm. it's it's not bad it's perfectly serviceable you can hear all the instruments but there's just no mm. there's nothing special about it in terms of like wow they've really achieved a, a, a kind of sound with these tracks no and even too you know if you look at the, you know, the cover of the album and, and the title of the album it's it's kiss killers right yeah. Okay, these guys and these guys are killers. I'm supposed to be afraid of these guys. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, it's there's like pink background and you know. Well, it's that's also a function of the times, though. That's that's the '80s. That's the new wave look. You know what I mean? Right. That hit, yeah. Haircuts and those costumes, very new wave. Well, I think the songs were supposed to be killers, right? Not the guys. I guess you know, but at the same time too, if you look at you know who would have been their contemporaries, Motley Crue, in terms of you know Too Fast for Love and Shout of the Devil. I mean, you know, I would have been much more, I wouldn't say afraid, but like put off by you know the Motley Crue image of that time compared to what was going on with Kiss at this point. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Motley Crue was outright scary at that point. Kiss, yeah. we had too many Kiss toys. <laughs> it's interesting not to go off on too much of a tangent, but actually. You know, at a certain point, 
Kiss hired Motley Crue's clothing designer, like around the, you know, the Lick It Up era and whatnot. Yeah. And it didn't help, not because she wasn't great at what she did and didn't make Motley Crue look great. It was just, they were kind of lost. They didn't really know what sort of image they wanted and they were kind of playing around with different, different things. So anyhow, yeah. if I'm a Legend Tonight is Paul Stanley's somewhat take on a Def Leppard song, I would argue that Down on Your Knees is Paul Stanley's take on somewhat of an ACDC song. Yeah. There's a, the only thing that stood out to me about this song is, well, one, it's the, the bass line is kind of complex, and then it switches to a straight eight, which is something that's a, a lot in this album. That's a very 1980s bass sound is that straight eight. Doo, 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 doo. You know what I mean? And that's on a lot of these songs. Um, there's a cowbell hit right before mm -hmm. the first starts or something like that. Did anybody, I mean, yeah. I thought I was crazy when I heard it. I thought something had dropped behind me when I heard it, but there's a cowboy. And that is honestly the only thing that really sticks out to me. I mean, it's nice. The, the, there's a bridge in it that has a nice little vocal section in it. But again, it doesn't, I mean, down on your knees is just, uh, what a cliche. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, oh, I can't listen to this. But the cowbell and the, the baseline goes from sort of a neat, complicated thing to like this straight eight thing. And I understand, I mean, straight eight is, that's the way to get that chorus sounding big and loud. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, nothing stands out to me at all of this. Like I couldn't even, you know, I tried to listen to it a bunch of times and I couldn't, you know, pull anything out of it. Yeah, the, the only thing I'd say about it is in terms of approach to songwriting, it has more in common with, uh, stuff Paul would do later, like Keep Me Coming and things mm. like that, then mm. say, you know, the writing style he was using on Rock and Roll Over or Love Gun, you know, it does. It sounds more like Keep Me Coming than it sounds like Making Love. Um, mm. And that, that pre-chorus or whatever you want to call it, that she's all right, you know, that whole yeah. thing, you know, it's a little, it's a little, it comes across as a bit jaded, no, right? I mean, like up until mm. now, they've always talked about groupies and sex with sort of wild, reckless abandon and enthusiasm and, you know, you're good looking, the best I've had. This is more kind of like, well, you're not the best I've had, but you'll do because I have no other options. It's a little hard to get behind <laughs> that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to me, this song could have been recorded by any other of, you know, mid-level bands that were coming out at the time, you know, and I won't mention any names, but, you know, they weren't really stretching out in terms of, you know, their lyric writing or, you know, song structure. And for sure it sounds kind of ACDC-ish in a way. Um, but, you know, I, again, I, I just, I think they're capable of better, you know. For sure. Yeah. Um, now, now Bob does get to shine a little bit more on this track with the, with the lead. Um, the interesting thing about some of the leads on this album is in some ways, with the use of the whammy bar and all that kind of stuff, they really remind me of some of the lead work Vinnie would, Vinnie Vincent would go on to do on the mm -hmm. next couple albums. Yeah, mm -hmm. ab absolutely. And it, it's also very, you know, sort of tasteful guitar playing from, from Bob as well, you know, and, and you know, this is based on, you know, our viewing of you know, Bob's playing on the 89 Paul Stanley's uh, solo tour, each where he seemed kind of like, is it the same guitar player that was on the 78th Paul Stanley solo album? I don't know. You know, it seems a little different. But, uh, but at the same time, too, when you compare the lead playing from Bob on this record compared to his playing on the uh, side four of Alive 2, I guess around Alive 2, they were basically saying, you know, Ace wouldn't play that note. Don't play that note. Da, da, da. And, and at this point, they, they sort of gave him a little more free reign in terms of what he was going to do in terms of lead guitar playing. Yeah. Um, you know, which again, like you said, Dave, leads to the way that maybe things that, that, that Vinnie would have, you know, Vinnie Vincent would have done on, on the, the following albums as well. All right. Nowhere to run. The chorus sounds nice and big. And again, also, there's a little bit of keyboard and the bridge is kind of nice. But again, didn't really... I mean, it's, it's this big, big chorus, you know what I mean? And it's catchy and, it, you know, and it's good. But I mean, how many times have I heard a song called Nowhere to Run, you know? 
um, and saying nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. I mean, come on, you can do better than that. So again, it doesn't really stand out for me. I mean, it's a good, solid song. You know, there's nothing, again, there's nothing, it's not cringeworthy. I don't skip over it, but it just doesn't stand out at all. I mean, maybe there's more to it than I'm missing, but I mean, I really honestly tried, because I figured that would be the one that I would like the most, but no. <laughs> well, okay, so this one, I think, is probably my favorite of the four, um, but I do think that it is hurt by the somewhat lackluster production. Mm -hmm. You know, I think musically, this song could have definitely been on The Elder. Um, mm -hmm. Was it in a demo for it or something? I think so, from that period. Yeah, okay. Um, there's certain things about it that, uh, that dun, 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 kind of that, that sort of rhythm Paul would refer, return to again on things like thrills in the night. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it, I, I hear the production failing it in a lot of ways where, where there's that breakdown and the drums just kind of keep going and there's no change in the effects on the drums they're just kind of dry and in your face and it really cries out for uh bob ezrin or somebody like that to to you know take it to the next level and without a guy like that there i think it it isn't as effective as it could be i think it's paul's best vocal performance though of, mm -hmm. of the four songs and um you know, it, I, I, I like the lyrical theme, Paul being essentially this force of nature, you know, that this woman will leave him and he says, fine, run on, but eventually she will see the error of her ways, much similar to, you know, a million to one that he writes on mm. Link It Up and other stuff like that. Um, but I always picture, you know, the girl running on some, in, in the dark in some mountainside and then the clouds part and you see Paul Stanley's face in full makeup, you know, like singing to her from the sky, this giant, you know, visage. Um, it's kind of the, that's kind of where I see this song. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see it the same way. It's definitely a you know, perspective, you know, from his point of view with, you know, relationships, you know, which, you know, he's, he's always written those types of songs in, in a great way. Uh, but, you know, when you consider it in terms of the time period, if this was written for the elder, I could see where this, this song would not fit on the elder because there are no relationship songs on the elder at all. It right. would not fit in concept wise with that record. So, you know, again, it, as a standalone, it's a great song. And it's, it's a great song because, in my opinion, the core changes are great, especially for the fact that, you know, when you go to the second verse, they sort of do this like second, like B section of the verse where it changes chords. And that chord structure is to me, badass. It's great um, and creative. But at the same time too, Paul's voice, like you said, Dave, on this track is amazing. It's one of his, to me, one of his finest vocal moments, you know, captured on record, but you know, production wise, it, that could have been a little more pronounced in a way. You know, like it's almost like the production value didn't really serve his vocal take in the best way. Even yes. though it's a great vocal take by, you know, on, in terms of Paul's vocals, you know, he's always great. But, you know, th in this case, they could have really emphasized that a little bit more. Um, but in terms of the four new songs on the record, this to me is the strongest. And it's the most interesting and it's probably the most memorable. And, you know, uh, at the same time, too, I can see, again, where this would not fit on The Elder. And could it fit on Creatures of the Night? Probably as well. But, you know... You know that that wasn't to be, but uh, in terms of the, the four that are on this record, this is this this stands up to me is just the strongest one of the four. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, and then we go from perhaps the strongest song on the album to what I would say is probably the weakest. Uh, partners in crime. Because partners in crime. I mean, I like the I like the chorus. I like the cool cool reverb on his voice. You know when he's singing it or whatever. But no, there's really, uh, I, the only note I have here is poppy chorus. <laughs> That's it. That's all I got. So maybe I meant to write peppy chorus, but I like the, I like the chorus. That's about it. You know, the rest of it is, and I mean, it's not a, it's kind of a weird, clever song about, you know, if falling in love is a crime, you know, kind of thing. And we're committing that crime or whatever. But no, yeah, again, not that amazing, but still not terrible. It's interesting that you like the chorus 
because yeah. that, that, <laughs> that, everybody hates. that to me is the weakest part of the song. Oh, really? Yeah, I actually kind of like the verses. I mean, they, they, you know, they're, it's sort of like a um, cat scratch fever-esque kind of thing okay. going on on the, on the verses. For sure, um, yeah. To me, the chorus, <laughs> like, it, need, it needs to have a big payoff, and it just, like... Right, yeah, okay. Like, the energy level just drops precipitously, you know, and it's just, I mean, I, it sucks the life out of the song <laughs> to the point... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think this might be my least favorite Kiss chorus ever. Really? Yeah. Well, I, I just, think I just liked it because it was sort of, you know, cheesebally, but I don't know. I'm easily pleased. Um, and again, I mean, I don't, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. It is kind of ridiculous, but um, it was, to me, it was sort of weirdly clever because of the whole reverb thing, but I, I could see your point. I'll I'll back off. Okay, I don't want. <laughs> well, uh, so so all right. Point of reference. Uh, think about this. Um, it's similar uh, in terms of uh, songwriting. Um, you've got whole lot of love, right? Yeah. Whole lot of love. You know, slide guitar. Whole lot of love. We got the you know partners in crime with the you know the the, the way bar you know descending riff. Technically, that should have worked for this song. But it doesn't. <laughs> Whereas whole no. on love, you know, the bottom doesn't doesn't fall out, you know, in a way. So yes, and they have that like double hit on a keyboard thing too. That dun dun thing that's just you know goes nowhere. I mean, yeah. Well, you guys really hate this song. Okay. Well, no, no, I I, I don't hate it, but I just know that you know you know in, again working with Dave on you know in original songs. Like if you're gonna write a verse, then you've got to write a great pre-chorus, and you've got to write a great chorus, and you've got to come up with a really creative bridge. And to me, this song, the verse is, again, the most interesting thing to me. But when it comes to the chorus, it just kind of doesn't really deliver. It doesn't really go to the next level where it should. Yes, it's a great riff and it works, but like maybe the lyric isn't the greatest thing or like the, the dive bomb isn't the thing to, you know, to, you know, to deliver the, you know, the end of the, of the chorus. I don't know, but it's, it just seems kind of, when you get to the chorus, you're like waiting for the chorus to get over, which really shouldn't be the thing that should, you know, yeah, it's not catchy. It's just plodding along. And, and you know, uh, the only positive thing I can say about it is that that straight eight kind of thing on, on the A is maybe an earlier precursor of what eventually became Lick It Up, but mm. they weren't there yet. No. No. Yeah, true. I mean, yeah, well, that's jumping ahead, but the, the, the song... The fact that they wrote such an amazing song with one chord, lick it up, is you know, really <laughs> nice. Yeah, I remember what? looking that up. I remember getting Guitar Player magazine, and they had that in there, and looking it up, and I'm going, it really is only one chord. I mean, I guess there's the do 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 do, but that's it. It's yeah. G D A, and you know, right. little F sharp there. I mean, yeah. Right. <laughs> but then again, clever because you know, I mean. You know, I mean, Tom Petty's been writing three chord songs, you know, had been, you know, writing three chord songs for years. He made a hell of a career out of it. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Three chords and the truth, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. You know, you know, sort of in, in, in summation, it's like, you know, if this was like a, a compilation record for these guys and they needed to come up with these four songs, and then they just kind of said, okay, this is what we have. You, you can have it. Put it on the record and it'll be what it'll be. Yeah. And none of these songs charted in any place it was released. Like anything that they released as a single went nowhere. Yeah. Was there any conversation like with other members of the band being like, hey, do you have a song perhaps you could contribute? You know, at this point, I mean, they had, I know that Peter Chris is out of the band at this point and their guitar player is probably Bruce Kulik, right? Or not? No, this is, all, uh, this is Bob. all Bob Kulik, yeah. yeah. Bob Kulik, sorry. Yeah. Because the more I learn about Kiss, the more I realize that Paul Stanley was sort of the the engine behind it in a lot of ways, uh, in terms of like doing, getting down and writing the songs. You know what I mean? I mean, I know that Gene wrote a lot of songs and Ace wrote songs and stuff like that, but it seems like he is the engine behind the band in a lot of ways. And it almost seems like someone was like, yeah, you need four new songs. He's like, oh, we need four songs. Okay, I got it. I got it. I got it. You know what I mean? And like, because there's no contribution from anybody else in this 
on these four songs and i mean do you guys know any backstory on that was is there any like um you know? other than the fact that i think um one or two were co-written by michael jab who had co-written songs with paul on his 1978 solo record and in fact i think michael jab plays guitar rhythm guitar uh yes. on down on your knees yeah he does i have that listed on uh what you call it um you know wikipedia has that yeah, but also too, um, Adam Mitchell was a co-writer on, on several songs as well, who became a co-writer on other songs that were on Creatures of the Night. So that again, seems like a, a stopgap measure between the Elder, the concept thing, and okay, this needs to be harder. But you know, and Killers is this really like you know a killer record and killer new songs and we're being hard edged? Maybe not so. And but as we'll see when we get to Creatures, you know, things um, you know improve and, and, and they deliver in, in that way. And the other connection I just thought of too, Brian Adams co-wrote- Brian Adams wrote stuff on here, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would go on to co-write stuff on Creatures. Yeah, yeah. And again, a great songwriter in his own right. I mean, that guy, you know, if anybody knows how to write a hit. <laughs> yeah, I can't stand, I can't stand Brian Adams, but I respect him as a songwriter. You know what I mean? Like there's, those songs just are all out there, you know, and they're all good, solid songs. They've just never grabbed me, but um yeah it's interesting but you know it's again not to go on a tangent but if you listen to the brian adams uh reckless record i mean that that's a great record from beginning to end you know okay <laughs> you know the guy knows how to write a good verse and a nice dramatic mm -hmm. pre-chorus with a couple minor chords and a chorus that that will deliver and you know a great bridge you know it, it's you know it, it's it's funny because when you think of like people like you know are you into hard rock and heavy metal? You know, it's gotta be this way and it's gotta be dark and cool and da da da. You know, to me, it's always been about how well is the song written? Are you a good songwriter? And that's the thing that stands out. And I think that's the thing that stands out with Kiss. And I think they're trying to achieve that with, it, with these four songs, but they didn't really deliver it, whether it be with production value or, you know, lyric, you know, contributions or, or you know, whatever. But, you know, they, they were, they've never really written a bad song, but, is it a great song? You know, that's the thing to, to sort of debate. No, it doesn't really stand out uh, as being anything in the canon. Like I said, I didn't know this album at all, you know? Yeah. They never played any of these songs live. How did you guys even find out about this album? I'm curious. Uh -huh. Somebody named David Lugarelli told me about it. <laughs> as usual. Seriously, you did, man. And you even, you... I mean, you, when you gave me your tour of your KISS collection in whatever, sixth or seventh grade, I forget. I remember you busting this out and saying, see how the S's are different on this? Because it's oh, yeah. import. Because like that. Uh, yeah. Right, because yeah. if it was selling in Germany, you couldn't have the, you know, the SS lightning bolts yeah. or whatever. Right. Uh, so seriously, that's, I've never owned this album. I've never, um, I, none of these songs were familiar to me, even in the slightest bit. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, in terms of those four new ones. Um, and I remember seeing it on sale at Ides as being, you know, Ides, you know, we don't need to tell people that, but it's the, you know, I remember it being displayed sort of vaguely prominently at Ides at some point, you know, as something cool to get. Similar to music from the elder, um, I was lucky growing up in Swissville, Pennsylvania, um, we had, you know, a record store and a, a music store, a guitar store that were a mile from, you know, my mom's home. And I happened, again, happened to walk into Record Hut in Swissvale, and this record was on the shelf. And I thought, what the heck? Yeah, this is it. <laughs> okay, so, oh, is there a new Kiss record? I had no idea. So I, I should probably buy it. I took it home, and I listened to it. I wasn't knocked out by it, but, you know, I was glad to see they were releasing new music. But I just, it wasn't like, it wasn't at the same level in terms of, um, promo and announcements when it comes to albums like, you know, the solo records or, or Dynasty or, you know, those kind of things. It kind of seemed like, oh, it, randomly this record was on the shelf. I need to buy this. And I'll take it home and see what it's all about. Yeah. I, I distinctly remember the only reason I knew about this record was because I was reading Kerrang! magazine, which, hmm. you know, was imported and they would sell it at sci-fi comics and records. And right when KISS was getting almost no coverage in the States mm. by rock magazines, they kind of casually mentioned in an article, uh, the KISS compilation Killers featuring four new songs. And I said, I was like, what? You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's it. That's it. How did, that brings a larger question. How did you guys know that new albums were coming out? I don't think it was until I was like 
maybe a senior in high school that I started to figure out that you could learn when bands were putting out new albums. It was generally, you heard the song on the radio and you were like, okay, they have a new album. But you know what I mean? There was no buildup to stuff coming out. Like, how, did you guys, I guess, Circus and Cream and Kerrang, but even those were, were you know, I don't remember any, um, now with the internet, you know what I mean? I mean, the, the Postal Service put out an album on Friday and I was listening to it as soon as it came out, you know, because Facebook is saying, hey, the Postal Service has a new album out, listen to it, you know? So, you know, now it's like, as soon as anything comes out, you immediately know. But back then I, it was just, you would hear the song on the radio or you would, you know, someone would casually mention it. I'm, I'm just sort of fascinated by the whole, like how we got music back then versus how we get music now. Yeah. Yeah. I would only know if I read about it in a magazine or heard a song on the radio or once MTV came along, if I saw a video for it, but that was, those were pretty much yeah. the three main avenues. Yeah. Right. Or if you, you would frequent a record store and there would be an album, you know, in the bin from your favorite artist that you were familiar with and you would say, right. okay, I need to pick this up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah good point. I mean, for, you know, for crying out loud, I mean, you know, go back to the uh, uh, dynasty tour, you know, I was eight years old. I just happened to open the entertainment section of the Pittsburgh uh, Press on a Sunday and notice that, the, you know, Kiss was playing at the Civic Arena. I didn't know that, you know, these guys that are on this record do actually do shows and venues. <laughs> it was amazing. It was like the return of Kiss. Like, I'd never seen them. I got to see this, you know. And I'm, I remember I was at my dad's house in Monroeville, and I, I, I didn't even ask my dad. I, I went to the phone and called my mom. I said, Mom, do you know Kiss is playing? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really just, you know, word of mouth and how you discover things you know and, and that that builds and, and that kind of mystique in a way is is missing these days in music you know it is it is unfortunately yeah um and mm -hmm. uh, and you know people can't even imagine what it was like to not know what they look like without makeup too i yeah. mean that's you know that's just you couldn't even do that today somebody would have a picture of you no just floating around from your Facebook, your Twitter or whatever. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just, yeah, watching something about the white stripes and how they managed to go a full whole two or three years convincing everybody that they were brother and sister rather than married, you know, is that was <laughs> at all, you know, this is totally off topic, but have you ever seen the movie, uh, the ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains? Yeah. Oh, no, mm -hmm. no. Okay, it's a rock and roll movie. You should see it, Mike. It's because okay. it's, they have a, like uh, two of the guys from the Sex Pistols and one of the guys from the Clash are actually in it playing musicians, and it's it's an interesting movie because it's it's not like a realistic representation of how rock and roll works in any way whatsoever. Like it was clearly written by a screenwriter who had no insight or uh, like not firsthand knowledge of how tours are put together or how bands become popular or anything like that mm -hmm. um but there is a reference in the movie i just saw last night to um the quote unquote the white stripes and i i heard that and i was like gee i wonder if that's where they got the name ah. okay they got it because that's the that's the woman's last name right stripes but I, but still yeah i just wonder if it, they put two and two together and yeah, yeah maybe yeah could be very well could be anyhow so we know your yeah. homework mike is going to be to go and, and watch ladies and gentlemen the fabulous stains i think it's uh yeah i should be able to find it online for free or something i'm sure i will yeah yeah it's on it's on youtube i believe or it was yeah that's where i saw it you know, I will say this though: when you compare the the, in the four you know new original songs that are on this record, when you compare them to other songs that are on you know the rest of the record, you've got Detroit Rock City, Love Gun, Cold Gin, um, I Was Made for Loving You, Sure Know Something. You know, really strong songs. You know, and we're going to lead off each side of the record with brand new songs that mm, debatable or you know up to the strength of you know the rest of the record. Oh, I didn't even put that together because I'm I'm streaming it, so it doesn't. I was like, why did they put the two new ones right in the middle? But of course, that would be where the new that would be where the second side is started. Yeah, and again, it goes into your point, John. Usually, of you know the, the strong you know single songs going to be the new ones or you know the ones you think are the most you know right you know interesting at the time, and and this is what we sort of get at the time. Although, mm -hmm. once again, in their defense, this was an album that they kind of knew was not going to 
hit the states in a big way. So why waste their A game, their A material, if you knew it wasn't going to get a full release in the United States? And also, too, to that point, I've read something where I think they were trying to say that, you know, if, if they were going to tour in, you know, the European market or Japan or wherever it was, you know, otherwise outside the U.S., then reintroduce those markets to the old songs and then at the same time give them some new songs. And this is sort of like, you know, a dual purpose in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, to me, I know, if I was Kiss and I was, you know, looking at my career, I would say, okay, well, you know, these four songs on this new record, with the exception of Nowhere to Run, really, you know, aren't the strongest songs they, they could have written or, or released. You know, they, they've obviously come up with a lot better stuff. Yes. And next week, we'll be taking a look at some of that better stuff, working with the same producer on what is a fan favorite record, Creatures of the Night. So I hope everybody has a great, safe week. And thank you for joining us. If you listen to the podcast and you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and uh, leave us a positive review. We will talk to you guys next week. Take care, man. Take care, guys. Good to hear you.